What do you want on your tombstone? I'm not asking about pizza. Uh, I'm asking about your actual tombstone. What, what do you want to be remembered by or remembered for? Loving husband? Amazing mother? Good friend? Diligent worker? Smart investor? Creative entrepreneur? Generous humanitarian? What about servant of Jesus? Deep in our hearts, we often want to be known and openly acknowledged for great things. But what if the small things brought honor to the Lord too? What, what was it that that old poem said? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Do you want to be known for being a servant of Jesus, a low, quiet, meek servant? You should want that. You should want servant of Jesus on your tombstone. But if it's going to be placed on your tombstone when you die, it will have to be placarded on your life as you live. What what would that even look like in life, in your life? Well, this morning, as we study Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30, we have the privilege of seeing a description of what it would look like. Um, if you haven't done so already, let me encourage you to open your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're looking at verses 19 to 30 this morning. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can find the passage on page 981. 981. And while you're turning there, let's, let's remember a few important things about this letter that we're studying. So far in this letter, Paul has expressed his thankfulness for the Philippians, for their partnership in the gospel. As a church, they have financially supported Paul in his missionary endeavors. And this gave Paul confidence that God was at work in them. And Paul prayed that God would continue to be at work in them. Given their partnership in the gospel, Paul gave the Philippians an update on his personal situation. He was in prison, but the gospel was still advancing, and in this he rejoiced. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, marks a, a major turning point in the letter. Uh, there, Paul turns his attention away from himself and to the Philippians, and Paul called the Philippians to stand together in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were to pursue unity through humility. Paul turned to the very character of Jesus in explaining what humility was to look like in their lives. Like Jesus, the Philippians were to let go of their place and their privilege and instead get under the burdens of their fellow believers and serve them. In view of Jesus' humiliation, Paul called the Philippians to work out their salvation, to stand out in righteousness in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation and to pour out their lives for others sanctification but practically speaking what does this look like in the life of a Christian well in the verses that we're setting together today Paul presents the Philippians with two men who model humble dedicated self-giving service of Jesus Christ it's one thing to be exhorted to be humble, to, to live humble, servant-hearted lives. And it's another to have a living example in front of you. This morning, as we're studying Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30, 
uh, we're going to see this lived out, this enfleshed in Timothy and Titus. In these verses, we're going to pass through them three times. First, we'll survey the, the content of what is here in these verses. Next, we'll take a look at the Christ-like character of the men presented in these verses. We'll see what Paul is asking for from the Philippians in fleshed. And then we'll consider um, the final, in our final point, we'll consider the command that Paul gives the Philippian congregation. He gives it toward the end of these verses. So we're going to look at the content, the character, and the command. Those three words are going to form the outline of the rest of the sermon. So let's begin with our first point, content. Let's read Philippians 2, verses 19 to 30, and, and see what's there before us now. Verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Here, we have the Apostle Paul kind of doling out apostolic assignments. Paul is explaining to the Philippian congregation when and why he will send Timothy and Epaphroditus to them. We see that in verse 19 that Paul first explains his plans concerning Timothy to them. Paul will send Timothy to them because he wants to hear news concerning how the congregation is getting on. Paul plans to send Timothy, but not right away. You see that in verse 23, right? I, I, I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. Remember, Paul, he's in, he's in prison. He is awaiting the results of his case. He's clearly confident that he's going to be released as verse 24 of chapter 2 and verses 25 and 26 of chapter 1 make plain. Paul plans to come along and personally see how the Philippians are doing shortly after he sends Timothy. Now we're not told why Paul will delay his travels, but we, it would not be surprising if Paul had some unfinished business at his present location. After all, the, the word of God he's told us in this letter has been spreading throughout the whole imperial guard as a result of his prison preaching ministry. After his case is decided, Paul will send Timothy. And shortly after that, he plans to return to Philippi himself. But in the meantime, according to verse 25 you see there, Paul sees it as necessary to send Epaphroditus back to Philippi nearly immediately. 
In fact, it's likely that Epaphroditus carried this letter back to the congregation himself. Epaphroditus was a member of that Philippian congregation. And he had been dispatched as a servant of that congregation to meet Paul's needs. On behalf of the church of Philippi, he took up the task of carrying gifts and supplies to Paul. You see, in a Roman prison, food, medicine, clothing, and supplies were often not supplied to a prisoner. And so one's family, or in this case, one's church family, had to supply them. Epaphroditus' service was how the Philippians met Paul's need. That's what is meant by the idea. At the end of verse 30, you see there in those words, to complete what was lacking in your service to me. The Philippians had committed to materially supporting Paul in his missionary journey. And Epaphroditus was completing or fully carrying out that commitment on behalf of the Philippian congregation. Having completed his mission, Paul thought it necessary to send the brother home and to commend the congregation to honor him upon his return. In fact, that's the command that we're going to consider a little later on. Before we do, we need to consider the character of the men that verses 19 to 30 embody. You know, a, a superficial reading of these verses would mistake them for Paul simply explaining his apostolic assignments. In Paul's letters, he, he tends to sketch out those details at the very end. Here, though, Paul brings them forward not only because he wants to enumerate his apostolic assignments, but because they are actually key to his point, the point that he's making in this letter. Paul is not just telling the Philippians that, that this guy's coming now and another guy's coming later. Paul's also illustrating what Christ's humble service looks like in real life, in a real man. For a minute, take a look back up at Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. You see there that Paul writes, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And what does he say of Timothy in Philippians chapter 2, verse 21? You see that there others serve in a self-interested manner, but not Timothy. There's no, other, no, no one like him. Others serve their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But Timothy has proven that he will genuinely care for the Philippians. What about Epaphroditus? Well, just as Christ was the servant who met our great need, Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, so Epaphroditus took the role of a servant and carried supplies to Paul and met his need, Philippians 2, verse 25. We need to consider the character of these men more closely. So to do that, let's begin reading Philippians 2, verses 19 to 30 again. And this time, as we read, keep a, a special eye out for the descriptions that Paul gives uh, or how Paul describes these men. Begin there in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier 
and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. There are some some beautiful Christ-like descriptors in here, aren't there? These men are, are, are genuinely concerned. They're, they're men who have proved their worth, who are brothers in the Lord, workers, soldiers, messengers, ministers, risk-takers, who care about the distress of others. Looking at these Christ-honoring graces is humbling. But we must look at them. We must look at them to see our Savior in them and to begin to see what He wants to mold in us. Brothers and sisters, this is what God wants from you. This is what He wants your life to be marked by. So set your eyes again on verse 20 of Timothy. Paul says, For I have no one like Him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now many have pointed out that that generally speaking, we have a pretty romantic view of the early church, the church in the, the first century. What does this say about the early church if Paul had no one else at his disposal like Timothy? It says that a man who was marked by the genuine concern for the welfare of others was exceedingly rare. What about us? Are such men and women common among us? You know, we we could suggest that Paul was exaggerating or that he's using hyperbole. The only problem is that this rings true, doesn't it? Men who are genuinely concerned for the welfare of others. Men who look out not only for their own interests, but especially for the interests of Christ first and especially for the interests of others. They are exceedingly rare. Where would Timothy have learned what it meant to be genuinely concerned for the welfare of others? Wouldn't he have learned something of this genuine, real, meaningful, substantial, practical concern for the welfare of others in the person and work of Jesus? Wasn't it Jesus who who looked over the crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd? Didn't he know that they needed to eat? And so he fed them. That's what we learn about Jesus in Matthew 14. Or or what about when Jesus met the rich young man? That young man was trusting in his great wealth and good works. Do you know what Mark said of Jesus as he spoke to that young man? He said that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Mark 10, 21. Jesus was genuinely concerned for this young man's future. His great wealth and his good works weren't going to save him from God's wrath. Or perhaps you remember the story of the woman who suffered under a disabling spirit for 18 years. In Luke 13, we're told that she was bent over. 
and that she couldn't even straighten herself. And as soon as Jesus saw her in the synagogue, he called her over and healed her. He was so concerned about her welfare that he wouldn't let another day go by with her suffering under that physical, spiritual, and emotional pain. Jesus shows us that a genuine care and a concern for the welfare of others is filled with compassion. It's filled with action. He shows us that genuine care and concern for the welfare of others is from the beginning to the end oriented away from self and oriented towards serving others in their need. What Paul is telling us here about Timothy is that that was his impulse. It was Timothy's instinct to be oriented toward the needs of others, toward the interests of others. What about you? Brothers and sisters, when you enter into your workplace, do you pray something like, Lord, help me to be genuinely concerned for the welfare of others and to seek the interests of Christ? Men, brothers, when you come home from work, do you stop at the door? Do you collect your thoughts and pray, Lord, help me to be genuinely concerned for the welfare of others in this house? You should pray that whether you have roommates or you have a wife and children. And then you should enter that house as a servant. It's not time to be served. It's time to serve. Brothers and sisters, what about when you turn up here? Uh, or, or maybe even before you turn up here. Let's say a, a deacon, the deacon of childcare, sends out an email asking for members to serve in the nursery. Or, or say an email goes out uh, that says a member needs help moving. Or, or say an email goes out saying that we're having a church work day and help is needed. These are moments when self-interest can tempt us, aren't they? Let's be honest, sometimes we, we get that email and we think, now, I, I didn't have plans to do something on that Saturday. I, well, I had maybe some soft plans. I kind of want to make them firm so I don't have to get stuck doing that. I mean, this is a temptation in our hearts, isn't it? You know, we're tempted by self-interest in these moments. Still, one of the things that encourages me about this congregation is that when called upon, by and large, you really do give yourselves to service. We're not perfect. We've got our moments of weakness, and we can certainly deny ourselves more. But, but I praise God for how you do serve. I mean, a handful of you turned up this morning and found some shovels and, and took care of some extra snow this morning. Praise God for your service. Thank you. Praise God for his work in us. And may he continue to make us more like Christ and serve in these practical ways. Let me encourage you to, to think about this as you walk through these doors each Sunday. Look for someone to encourage. Do you see anyone sitting all alone? When you speak with others, do you express a genuine concern? Do your conversations get to that point of genuine concern? Or, or do they not go beyond, you know, how was your week? It's a great question to ask, an important question to ask. It, it's an entry question, isn't it? So we've got to ask it. But let's try and press our conversations further, maybe even until we've got something to pray about. And then, let's pray about it together with one another. Like Christ and like Timothy, 
Seek to get under the burdens of your brothers and sisters and help shoulder them. We do that in part by prayer. And those who are members of this church, it is what you've promised to do in our church's covenant. Christ's interests are, in part, tied up with the welfare of of this body. So, be like Timothy. Be like Christ. And be genuinely concerned for the welfare of others. Not only was Timothy genuinely concerned for others, but he was also reliable. That's what Paul's getting at there in verse 22. You see there in verse 22 when he says, You know Timothy's proven worth. The the Philippians knew Timothy was reliable. He had a track record of being stable and dependable. This was public knowledge to the Philippians. So we can ask ourselves a question. Are we flaky or are we faithful? It's quite a, a challenge to make promises and keep them. But Christian, remember, that's what God has done for us in Christ. That's what God has done for us. So be like Timothy, be like Christ, and be known for faithful service. Timothy faithfully served Paul with the gospel. Paul could depend upon him. Look at how close their relationship was. Timothy, according to verse 22, was like a son to Paul. Timothy eagerly learned and served at the side of his spiritual father. He did what he saw his spiritual father doing. Doesn't that remind you of Jesus? who said in John 5, My Father is working until now, and I am working. Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. See, Timothy, he was following the pattern of Jesus as he served with Paul, his spiritual father. Brothers and sisters, are we we developing relationships like this? Is there another brother or sister in Christ that you can labor with and humbly learn from like a child? And parents, though this is primarily a spiritual relationship that Paul has in view, that doesn't mean you can't be cultivating this kind of relationship too. You can. Take your children along with you as you go and visit the homebound. Teach them to care for the frail, to love the weak, to bless the burdened. Take them with you and teach them as you bring a meal to a family that has just had a baby. Teach them how to listen, to read scripture to others, and pray for them. Teach them that your family is larger than your immediate family. Teach them that though the same blood does not run through the veins of other members of this church, they are family because we're united in Christ's blood. Teach your children that your obligations your obligations, your obligations extend beyond your immediate family. Fathers, the only way that you can raise up Timothys is to take them with you into service. Oh, how the world needs more Timothys, more men who are going to be genuinely concerned about the welfare of others, who are reliable and faithful. This world needs more Timothys. So brothers, fathers, we've got to reject sealing off our home and instead invite others in and take our children out to serve. And children, children, young people, learn. Learn from Timothy. Serve with your fathers and mothers in the gospel. Serve gladly with your parents 
under your parents' authority. Observe carefully how your parents deny their desires to meet others' needs. Listen closely as your parents remain focused on proclaiming Jesus. Speak graciously as you have heard them speak the truth in love. Timothy was filled with genuine concern. He was reliable and he humbly served as a son serves with his father. He's not the only one whose character is commended in these verses. We must also consider the character of Epaphroditus. Like Timothy, Epaphroditus also received a growing recommendation from Paul. In particular, verse 25 you see there, it stacks up a number of descriptions. He is a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, a messenger, and a minister. But notice, notice where Paul begins. He begins by saying that it is necessary to send Epaphroditus. Why? We really get the answer to that in verse 26. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Okay, you know, he got sick. No, no, he got really sick. Take a look at verse 30 again. For he nearly died for the work of Christ. It appears that along his journey to Paul, Epaphroditus fell seriously ill. And what likely happened is that someone with him carried this news back to his church family while he carried on to Paul. No wonder Paul calls him a soldier. He pressed through his illness to see that the mission was accomplished. So why is it necessary for Paul to send him back? It wasn't necessary because he failed to complete the mission, for amazingly, he did complete his mission. Rather, it was because of love. Does that remind you of what Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 35? He said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, by the love you have for one another. Epaphroditus, he loved his church. And his church loved him. You know, Epaphroditus, it appears, was more concerned about his church's response to his illness than he was about his own illness. He put their distress above his health. He put others before himself, others first. He loved the church and, and didn't want to see any pain come to them. Epaphroditus wanted to relieve the church about his condition. He, he wanted his brothers and sisters in Christ to know that he was okay. He was sensitive to the concerns of his church and their distress. Christian, do you care? Do you care about the distress of other brothers and sisters in Christ in our church? There is clearly a love flowing back and forth between Epaphroditus and the Philippian congregation. Can you say that about your relationship with this congregation? Do distance and difficulty from this congregation prompt in you a longing to return and be reunited? If so, praise God. If not, and what can you do? What should you do to strengthen your bond with your brothers and sisters in Christ here? How might you do that? Maybe you could do that through taking up the model of Timothy and Epaphroditus, really of Jesus. Give yourself to serving others. And what you will find is that the Lord, He'll begin to knit your heart to this congregation more closely. When opportunities for serving others arise, say yes. Look for need and meet it. Epaphroditus wasn't 
sitting around, waiting to be served, invited or noticed. He was available to serve. And he gave himself for others. Epaphroditus made himself available to go and serve Paul on behalf of the Philippian congregation. Are you available? Should you make yourself available? Really, the descriptions of Epaphroditus there in verse 25 are different sides of the same diamond. Right? This brother in Christ is a, a worker, a soldier, a messenger, and a minister of Jesus. That is a, a beautiful way of describing Epaphroditus as a servant. He works. He labors. He serves for the glory of Jesus' name. He is a soldier. He serves in the work of the gospel, which is a, a war against the powers of hell holding men in unbelief. He wages war with the sword of the word of God to set men free from the powers of sin and death through Jesus Christ. He's a messenger. Like Paul, he serves by delivering the good news of Christ, conquering the grave. And that Jesus welcomes ruined rebels into his heavenly kingdom. He's a minister, literally a servant. He serves by meeting needs. Now, there's something you need to know about this man, Epaphroditus. He is your average Joe. His name was a common name in the Greco-Roman world. He is not, insofar as we can tell, a leading figure in the Philippian church. He appears to have just been your, your average Christian, your, your normal Christian. And this is what's said about him. A brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger, and minister. This is what normal Christians should be like. Is this what you are like? Are you a faithful Timothy? Are you a faithful Epaphroditus? Do you have a proven track record of reliability? Are you available to meet the needs of the church and fellow believers when they arise? Are you teachable like Timothy as a son with a father? Are you humble enough to learn under the tutelage of another believer? Are you willing? Are you willing to risk your life, risk your reputation, or risk your comfort for Jesus? Pause for a minute and recognize this. That apart from the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are going to die. Apart from the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are going to die. Now that might frighten you. Or it might free you to spend your life well. So how are you going to spend your life? Are you going to spend it in the service of self-interest? Or will you spend it in the service of the interest of Christ and His church? Are you willing to give of yourself and to give up your comforts? If Epaphroditus here, we see he almost died in order to minister to Paul. In John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Epaphroditus was willing to do that. That's exactly what Jesus did for sinners like us. Epaphroditus displayed great Christ-like love for the Philippians and for Paul. And do you see what Paul said about Epaphroditus' near-death experience there in verse 27? Paul said that God had mercy on Epaphroditus and on him, on Paul. Did you see that there? That God had mercy on Paul. What would have been Paul's reaction to Epaphroditus' death? Paul says that if he had died, he would have had sorrow upon sorrow. You see, Christians are not Stoics when it comes to death. We really do grieve. Yes, we, we grieve with hope because we know that death is not the end. 
But we grieve like the Lord Jesus grieved at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. He wept. Epaphroditus, he was a blessing to Paul. He was a good gift from the Lord. Brothers and sisters, our service to others is a part of the Lord's blessing upon others. Be a good gift of the Lord to others. Do you realize what Paul was doing in sending these two men back to the Philippians? See, there's actually a third man in these verses who reveals a deep Christ-like character. In these verses, Paul reveals his willingness to part with beloved brothers for the good of others. Just think of how comforting the presence of Timothy and Epaphroditus must have been to Paul during his imprisonment. Paul wasn't selfish. He wouldn't keep God's good gifts to himself. He would share them. Paul considered the interests of the Philippians above his own, and he shared Timothy. He had no one like him, and yet he gave him up. He shared Epaphroditus, the one who ministered to his need when he was in prison. And here, Paul is displaying the selfless and self-giving love of Jesus. He is showing that, like Timothy and Epaphroditus, he was concerned with the interests of Jesus above his own. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I hope that you have experienced something of this self-giving love, this sacrificial love from a Christian, this love that we've seen displayed in the lives of Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul. Maybe you're here this morning because a member of this church has invited you to come along and you came because you've seen something of this self-giving love. Maybe you've come along because you wanted to know more about what your friends and believers, what your, friends, what your friend believes, and what motivates him to live a life of humble, self-giving love. Jesus and all that he has done for us is what motivates Christians to give of themselves to love and serve others. You see, though we have all been made in God's image, made to love, serve, and honor God, the truth is, is that we've all decided to live our own way and serve ourselves. That's what the Bible calls sin. It's nothing less than rebellion against God. Our rejection and refusal to obey the infinite and eternal God requires that we be justly punished for our sin, which means that we deserve to face an infinite and eternal punishment. In other words, we deserve hell, a real, horrible place of eternal self-conscious torment. But the good news of the Bible is that the eternal Son of God took on flesh in the person of Jesus. The Son came down from heaven to serve us and save us from hell. He was genuinely, Jesus was genuinely concerned about our welfare. He knew our future without His work. And so He came to us, those who are imprisoned in sin and death. He came to serve and minister to our need. Jesus served us by living the life that we have not lived, the life of perfect obedience to God the Father. He was the faithful Son, the sinless One. Because He was without sin, He was able to serve as our substitute and so offer Himself as a sacrifice for our sin. His life was constant, was constantly one of self-giving love. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. As, as one poet said, 
Death is the minimum wage. And if it weren't for Jesus, we would have been paid. Jesus took our place on the cross and was paid the wages for our working in sin. But three days after his death, God raised Jesus from the dead. Three days after his death, God paid Jesus the honor that was due to him for all of his working in righteousness. And now Jesus invites us to believe that his service saves sinners. Jesus invites you, friend, to believe that he lived for you and that he died for you and he was raised from the grave for the forgiveness of your sins. So turn and trust in him. Turn from your working in sin and turn to serving him. Trust that he has rendered unto God all of the service that's needed for your salvation. We don't serve Christ in order to be saved. We serve Christ because we have been saved. Friend, this is God's call to you. Turn from your sin and turn to trusting in him. And if you want to know more about what it means to to trust and follow the Lord Jesus, I'd be delighted to speak with you after the service. Join us downstairs for lunch and ask a Christian who you're sitting with at that table. Ask him what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus and his saving service unto sinners is why Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and all Christians spend themselves in the service of others. Well, having considered the content of these verses and the Christ-like character that these men display, let's turn briefly now and consider afresh Paul's command. This is our third and final point. Take a look there at verse 29. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Here, Paul issues the main command of our passage. He not only commands the Philippian congregation to receive Epaphroditus with joy, but he also commands them to honor such men. In other words, they should honor men like him. And and that, I think, would include Timothy. Timothy was a lot like him. Why? Why should the church in Philippi receive Epaphroditus with joy? Well, because God had mercy on him and spared his life. They should receive him with joy because God returned a precious gift of the church back to them. They should rejoice at God's mercy and his generosity toward them. We as a church know what that's like, right? Think back a couple of years ago. Did we not rejoice when the Lord spared the life of baby Everett? Or last year when he spared the life of our sister Kristen? Did we not rejoice when God returned to us? Dear brothers and sisters, yes, we rejoice at God's mercy and his generosity. And so... The Philippian congregation was to rejoice at the return of their brother, Epaphroditus. Paul adds another layer to this command there in verse 29. The church in Philippi was to rejoice, but they were also to honor such men. In other words, they were to honor men who spent themselves in the service of others, just like Jesus did. You see, this is the parallel that Paul is is drawing with Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. There, Paul essentially said, the Lord Jesus was the great selfless servant who died for the salvation of sinners. And because of his humble service, God the Father honored him. He raised Jesus from the dead and gave him the highest place. God honored Jesus in his resurrection from the dead. He exalted Jesus. And now what Paul is saying 
is honor these men for their humble, sacrificial, selfless service to Jesus and his church. In a way, Paul has actually already honored Epaphroditus. Take a look at verse 25 again. See, Paul, he, he calls Epaphroditus a fellow. Not just a fellow, but a, a what? A fellow worker. A, a fellow soldier. You see what Paul is doing there? He's lifting Epaphroditus to his level. He, he, he called Epaphroditus a, a messenger. Can you guess what that word in Greek is? It's apostolon or apostolos. He called Epaphroditus an apostle. Now, Epaphras, he, he wasn't an apostle with a, a capital A like Paul was. Uh, Epaphroditus hadn't been divinely commissioned by the risen Lord Jesus like Paul and others had. He wasn't an apostle in the sense that he was a, a church-wide leader of the early church. Nevertheless, Paul uses the word apostle to draw Epaphroditus up in the minds of his hearers or readers. Paul was honoring Epaphroditus, even the way he was describing him. Paul was honoring Epaphroditus and calling the Philippians to honor him for his Christ-like service. What does this mean for us? It means that we need to honor those who serve. We obviously need to guard ourselves from worshiping our heroes. But according to Scripture, we need to honor those who serve like Jesus served. How do we honor them? We pray for them. We thank God for them. We say thank you to them. Go and thank those who serve our body. Thank the deacons who facilitate ministry in our body. Thank our ministry coordinators. Thank our church treasurer and our church clerk. These are obvious brothers and sisters you can thank, but there are others who serve quietly. Others you, you may not see or, or don't see. For example, you, you may not know it, but nearly every Sunday afternoon, our sister Selah, she comes in and she tidies the sanctuary after us. She doesn't do it for our praise. She does it to bless us. Thank our sister. And then, then there's our brother Ray, who, who I often see offering his arm to our sister Cecilia. He's attentive to when she comes in and makes sure she makes it safely out. His tender service reminds me of Jesus' gentleness. And our Savior is honored by that service. He's honored by that Christ-like love. Thank you, brother. Perhaps there are others that you see serving and modeling Christ-like love. Learn from them. Another way to honor them is to, to point out their example to other believers. So, so as you're discipling another believer, ask them if they've thought about following brother or sister so-and-so's way of life. Do you, do you see their service to Christ? You should follow Jesus like them. Honor those who serve Christ and the body by coming alongside them and serving with them. We could and we should give those brothers and sisters who spend themselves in service rest from time to time. We also honor others by giving them our attention and our ears. Right? So if there's a believer who lives a Christ-like life, listen closely and carefully to them. Learn from them. And in doing so, you honor them. More importantly, you honor Christ, the one whom, by God's grace, they are imitating. We should conclude. And as we do, 
we ought to consider Christ again. If, you're, if you were to set your eyes on the first words of this letter, if you were to flip back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, you would find that Paul has not really moved off the subject of service. The letter of Philippians begins with these words, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Remember, that's what you want. That's what you want on your tombstone. The theme of service, it pulsates through this letter. And the heart of Paul's exposition of service is found in Christ's service to sinners, like us. Especially in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. Remember again that God the Father honored the humble service of Jesus Christ in his resurrection from the dead. We've been studying together, what we've been studying together here in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30, is Paul's illustration, Paul's living illustration of Christ's humble service displayed through the window of Timothy and Epaphroditus. Brothers and sisters, let's give ourselves to humble, reliable, genuine, selfless, sacrificial service in imitation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we give ourselves to living out our faith in the risen Christ, you can be sure of this. God will also honor your service to Christ on the last day. You too will be raised up from the dead to continue serving Jesus and his people in the new heavens and the new earth. Today and tomorrow and every day that the Lord Jesus gives you in faith, Hide yourself in Jesus, but make him visible to sinners and saints through humble Christ-like service. Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray and ask that you would help us to make the Lord Jesus Christ known in our lives. We pray that it would be manifestly evident in our lives that we are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray and ask that we would have a faithful testimony to our Savior and His dying love for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.